Welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. This episode is part of a series of programs in partnership with the Memorial University graduate course Folk 6740, Public Folklore, and the Craft Council of Newfoundland to document craft traditions in the province of Newfoundland and Labrador. My name is Megan Chasse, and today I'm here with Erin MacArthur, one of the artists behind Northeastern folk art, pottery, art, and ideas from the Atlantic. Erin divides her time between St. John's and Belle Island, as she believes that the rich cultural life, rugged coastlines, and wild natural beauty are a source of inspiration for her work. Welcome to the show, Erin. Um, it's lovely to have you here today. Thank you. It's nice to be here. So you're an artist who creates Reiku pottery. Am I saying that right? <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard the word before. Uh, oh, it's Raku, actually. Raku? generally what it's called, yeah. Although um, the, the name comes from a, a style of firing that happened in um, oh, about the 16th century Japan, and then it bro- got brought over to North America and Britain by some British potters, and and we just sort of use the word to describe this kind of firing, although the word raku, I think, refers to a family in Japan that is like, that they're the only ones that really make raku, but it's a shorthand way to describe post-firing reduction, which is not very glamorous sounding. <laughs> <laughs> so is that what makes it like unique or different, like the way that it's the pottery is fired? or Yeah, it, it's fired a little bit differently than normal pottery. Um, we fire it outdoors, and um, one of the things that um, sets Raku apart from... Uh, other kinds of pottery is the, the metallic finishes you can get on it. Um, we use a lot of uh, metallic ingredients like copper carbonate in our glazes, and we apply it after the piece has been fired, um, you know, once in a, an electric kiln. So we put the glaze on and um, put it in an outside kiln, heat it up to about 950 degrees Celsius. And then when it's blazing hot, we lift, turn the kiln off, lift the lid, and move the piece into a barrel that's, you know, a metal barrel that's filled with dried sawdust. And it really wants to burn because mm-hmm. it's so hot. But um, we put the lid on it so it can't burn, and it uses up all the oxygen in the uh, barrel. And uh, the lack of oxygen, uh, the technical term is a reduction. And um, so that's what makes the metals come out to the surface, it uses all the chemical oxygen and um, and leaves that behind. So, and I was reading on your website that you made your kiln out of a recycled oil drum. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that's really cool. Like, is that something that uh, people would normally do? Or yeah, yeah, you can spend a ton of money on art supplies and pottery supplies and that. But um, quite often, you know, with an outdoor kiln, you can use basically a, a metal garbage can. I've seen those uh, aluminum garbage cans with lids used or um, you know but these these oil drums work really well they're they're a good size that's very cool and so is there a history of doing this type of pottery or craft in Newfoundland do you know um, yeah I think the there was um, the first potters that I that I knew about was uh, 
Margot Meyer. Mm-hmm. She taught pottery in the 70s, I think, on the West Coast. I don't know if she taught it here in St. John's. It's before my time. But um, there's a few people around that do Raku pottery. Uh, Gail Squires and Jerry Squires were at it, as uh, and Esther continues that. Isabella St. John was another artist who um, her her work was um, quite defined by that technique as well. So um, there's a bit of it. And I'm from Vancouver originally, and okay. there was a, a lot of people that were at it out west too, and that's actually mm-hmm. how I got started with it. Do you find that the art style like changes, like since you're from the west coast, do you find that it kind of changes being on the Atlantic coast, like the styles of pottery that people are doing? or Not really. I don't know. I think because we're both like coastal sort of cultures, there's mm-hmm. uh, always going to be an influence of, you know, sea life and, and starfish and, and different things, fish and whatnot, that are going to have, you know, reoccurring themes through some people's work, not everyone. Mm-hmm. But... Um, yeah, I think it's really individual as artists what you what inspires you because mm-hmm. not everyone turns to the sea. Some people find inspiration in other things. That wasn't actually another question I was going to ask you. Is like, where do you get your inspirations from? Um, how, like, how do you come up with your designs? Um, I've been making art pretty much all my life, so I don't really have an answer, a clear answer for that. It just sort of comes to you. If you're always making art of some kind, mm-hmm. it just becomes a normal thing, just like talking. And it doesn't mean that all your ideas are brilliant. I mean, you know, 90% of them might not amount to anything, but you put them down on paper and, and see what happens, and, mm-hmm. uh, and then some of them work out. And so how did you get started doing this type of work, creating this type of pottery? Um, I started making pottery in high school, like we had a couple of really great art teachers and so that was um, what had me starting being interested in it. And um, and then after I left school and um, that I um, did it once in a while at night school, if there was a, a class to be had I would find somebody to come along with me and we'd, we'd take it. and. I belonged to a couple of uh, studios, just sort of cooperatives out west that were pretty casual. And then, then when I moved here, um, I found the the clay studio at the Craft Council in the basement, and thought, "Oh, great, <laughs> minutes from home and and perfect." And uh, and then Isabella led uh, uh, a raku workshop, and my husband Mike and I were just enthralled with the idea. I tried it before and didn't really have access. It's not like uh, the kind of art that you can just sit down and do without any particular knowledge. You really need some skills and you need uh, the equipment to do it and and some fortitude because it's a little bit exciting when the smoke and fire and and, you know everything's so hot but uh, yeah so Isabella was a great teacher and uh, and the clay studio all the community other potters and that so that was pretty much the real start of it was was that so it's like kind of learning skills from other people and yeah people uh, most potters you know are really generous with their their knowledge we all are in it together and even though you know you 
you might think, well, maybe they're competing, but we're really not because we all make completely different things. The only thing that we have in common is uh, is the medium of clay, just like, you know, anything. So, um, yeah, we can learn from... Um, from um, one another on the island and then a lot of us if, whenever we get the chance will go off island and uh, visit there's a, a conference that happens every year down in the states called Enseca and it's uh, a meeting of you know thousands of potters and oh, there's wow. every imaginable form that clay can take is uh, available for you to look at and, and talk to people who make the work or sell the tools or whatever, you know, it's just like this mecca. <laughs> and um, and so a lot of times people bring b- back a fair bit of knowledge from that. And, and of course, social media is revolutionized where you can get knowledge from. People are really generous about sharing how they did stuff. And you can, you know, they might have a certain level of really great skill with it. And um, you'll uh, poke away at it until it's something reasonable that you like or or maybe not. You might just go, okay, that's not for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what makes a good piece of pottery? It's a really subjective thing because mm-hmm. it really depends on what the, the function is going to be, for one thing. If you're going to make something that's, uh, for instance, going to hold food, well, uh, the glaze has to be food safe, first off, so you're not hurting right. anyone. <laughs> I wouldn't have even thought of that. <laughs> And uh, people don't use lead anymore, so that one's out. But still, you know, it could be uh, other things. And um, it has to be nice to handle. If you're going to be using it, you know, having your hands on it, then it has to feel nice in your hand. Um, For instance, if you were making a a coffee cup, Mm. you would want it to not weigh 50 pounds, and you want it to feel nice in your hand. Mm -hmm. Um, And you might have a choice, you know, a a thought about whether you want design on it or a certain color or things like that. And um, it's pretty individual. I mean, some of it is, you know, it should demonstrate your skill at your making. It shouldn't be clumsy and awkward. And if there's, you know, mistakes on it or flaws, then they should be pretty small or not at all. Like, Mm -hmm. really are trying for, for the best kind of workmanship possible. Right. So I guess each piece comes out unique, right? Yeah, they do come all out a little bit differently, and Mm -hmm. and so there is that. And you plan as best you can. So you have your own business, too, that sells your pottery, right? Yes. We've been selling our pottery since, mm, I guess, 2001, so quite a while. Yeah. And mainly we do wholesale, so we go to a wholesale show that the provincial government uh, until last year was organizing. I think the Craft Council is, is they're handing it off to them. But in any case, the uh, uh, gift shop owners and other people that would sell craft come and make their orders for the season, and, and we fill them. And uh, the biggest things that we tend to sell are... Um, things that are sort of tourist related although we get people that live here that buy them as well because they're not overtly you know Newfoundland or or anything really they're more ocean themed and Mm -hmm. and uh, people tend to collect them. Um, Do you have a favorite piece that you've created? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) What's your favorite kid? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I like it. it depends on the week. You know mm-hmm. what I'm what I'm at making. Um, lately, I've been doing more porcelain work because I wanted to make more s- things that were food safe and somewhat right. more practical. Because raku is like really nice to look at and everything, but it's not food safe and it's okay. decorative. And you know, I'm certainly at an age so I can relate to this. Of you know, how much stuff do you need in your house that yeah. you can't really use? Yeah. So. So I've gone in more of a direction of, uh, you know, finding other things to make. And um, I'm just finishing off, actually, a racket of coffee mugs and mm-hmm. um, finding I'm not really loving that because there's too many moving parts that are, you know, hard to keep together. Mm-hmm. But um, one of my favorite things right now is making these little dishes that have birds on the side of them. And they're all, um, I paint them individually with underglaze and so they're quite decorative. Some of them are really detailed, and some of them are a little plainer, but they speak to the um, enjoyment I have of drawing and painting because that's really my first uh, love for okay. for creating, yeah. and, and uh, so I, I get to explore that more with uh, with the porcelain than I do with the raku. And the raku is great. I really love it. And um, one of the f- things I really like doing that is weighing out... Uh, about 25 little balls of clay, about three to 400 grams each, and then just throwing them without a plan and just seeing what comes out. And, and that's really fun because I'm not, you know, having to be terribly disciplined about getting them all the same or any yeah. of that. Just go mad. Oh, God. Yeah. And then my husband, Mike, does the firing of them, so he has the fun with the glazing and, and seeing how they turn out. It's, it's a great collaboration. Yeah, wow. So is that how generally the two of you work? Like you do the... Do you do more of the artistic side and he does the firing or does he also do? He does some making too. He does like all the little things that we sell. We make, you know, all these things like starfish and mussels and mm-hmm. uh, tiny items that are uh, d- appearing all over the place and capelin and uh, whale's tails he started making about 10 years ago and they've been really popular. And So he does a lot of the hand-built stuff and anything that goes on the wheel I make and, um, and then I'll do a lot of the hand building as well and um if there's electric firing i tend to do that mm-hmm. and the raku firing he does because i just i don't have the the wits for it i'd probably burn my eyebrows <laughs> off or freak out or something i don't really know gosh <laughs> i can't even imagine yeah well he's a chef by trade so he's okay. really comfortable working around you know hot spaces yeah. and working quickly and he's really coordinated and right I'm not that coordinated, so <laughs> I, I'm glad to leave it to him. Gosh, yeah. I'm kind of yeah. the same way. I'm, like, really klutzy, <laughs> so I don't think it would work out very well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it could end badly. <laughs> <laughs> so when he's working, like, is it just him that does the work, or does it take more than one person? Um, you mean making or, or firing? Firing. Firing, he tends to do it. He'll do the firing himself. Mm-hmm. We'll do the glazing and sort of preparing for a couple of days before that. And then um, he has two kilns, so what we'll do is we'll just get everything warm and and dry and set up, and then he'll start the kilns and just tag them off one against the other. His firing will take about somewhere between 20 minutes and half an hour. It's a really fast firing compared Mm -hmm. to uh, making, you know, porcelain dishware and that work can take like 10 hours. Um, It's a lot slower process. But uh, with, with ac- Raku, it's, like, fast. And can you tell me, like, a bit... I'm not sure if you've already explained it, but the reasoning behind why you want it to go so fast? 
Um, I don't know what the reasoning is, except for that it's just, you know, it's pretty efficient as right. far as making a, a body work in a hurry and having it done. Um, it it ha- it goes pretty quickly, so um, just because we can, mainly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you said the porcelain takes, like, a longer time? Yeah, or? yeah it goes in an electric kiln, so um, all pottery, including the raku, has one firing that's called a bisque firing, so you take this the clay that's been dried, shaped and dried, and it's bone dry, it goes in the kiln and it's cooked for... Um, Usually it's about nine hours up to about 900 degrees Celsius or 1,000, depending on, you know, 950. Anyway, uh, to bisque. And then that makes it so that it won't dissolve in water and it's ready to be glazed. And then the second firing for porcelain will happen after you've put glaze on it, decorated it, done whatever it is that you want, and then you put it in the electric kiln and you heat it up at a slightly different rate than you would for a bisque. It's uh, a little bit slower of firing, and um, and that can take nine hours, ten hours, maybe even twelve if things are really full. And sometimes around craft fair season, it can be really <laughs> full. <laughs> so I guess things kind of speed up, like around say Christmas time, or yeah, usually like for any crafts person who's trying to make a living at it, Christmas is never far away. Mm-hmm. You're um, you're thinking about Christmas in June, July because you have to be ready, you yeah. know. Once everybody else is starting to think about Christmas, you're already you know, you're already ready, especially yeah. as a potter because even like to make something from um a ball of clay to the end result is at the very minimum 10 mm-hmm. days. It yeah. just is and it's, you know, if you're making one thing, you got to make 30 or 50 or 100 (laughs) of whatever because you can't just put one thing in the kiln and fire it it's way too much labor and yeah it's expensive so and do you make like anything do you make themed things around christmas or do you just you Mm. have a certain style that you yeah sometimes i usually try and do something new every christmas right and um because there's certain people that like to collect and so you know, if I get time, it's kind of like the the bonus round of making. Once I get all the regular things, uh, I'll th- sit down and um, we've made a few nativity scenes over the years, and every single one of them, you know, they're gone. But yeah. it's just a matter of having the time to put them together and, um, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. So what are you doing differently from others who create pottery? Um, How are you adding your own spin onto this tradition? I know that's a really big question. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, I don't know. I I think every artist who, you know, anybody who's making is going to put their own spin on it. Mm -hmm. It's going to, you know, if you're not, then you shouldn't, you know, you should be examining why it is that you're doing it and what you're doing Mm -hmm. because it's everybody in, including us it's it's so personal and individual and i think over time your your style develops you know along uh, follows along the lines of your personality and whatever things that you know catch your eye and that you want to try out so it's it's um yeah i don't think there's any real answer for that mm-hmm yeah. Uh, so you said that you sell your work at craft fairs. You also sell it. Um, do you sell it online? Or like if I was looking mm-hmm. to buy some, <laughs> where would I go? Um, you could go to uh, 
a lot of gift shops around the province carry our work. Mm-hmm. So um, the weavery, the rooms, craft council, those kind of places sell our work. Mm-hmm. Um, I try and have a table at the farmer's market at least once a month. So okay. um, we're available there. We don't sell online. I, the reason being that shipping is just such a you know expensive thing that it's almost not worth it i feel like it would be like a lot more difficult with something like pottery right it is it's a real hassle and and canada post won't even insure you for breakage if if they happen to completely lose it they'll they'll you know pay out but if you arrive with something that's all basically a mosaic project there we're just gonna wish you good luck and yeah that's it oh no (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, so. So you said that your first loves were kind of like painting and drawing. So do you sell any of that kind of work as well? No. No? No, I just do it for the fun of it. Yeah. Yeah. And like you incorporate that into the pottery though, I'm sure, right? Yeah, I do. You you'll would see it on some of the porcelain work. Mm-hmm. And I don't take it too seriously. It's more just doodling and having a bit of fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So maybe how did you get, like, involved with the craft council? Um, I did basically just joined because um, they were upstairs from the clay studio and I found out what they were and and what they were about. So that was kind of how it happened. Very cool. Yeah, they're really supportive for people, you know, making and uh, having a... getting an idea of how to have a high standard making craft of any kind mm-hmm. it's a, a really good resource for that and um keeping everyone you know kind of not underselling themselves so mm-hmm. um i see that a bit with uh especially the plethora of craft fairs and markets and things that are on the go now it seems yeah. like everywhere you turn there's these craft sales and and there's not really like i would really encourage craft council people to get out there and start recruiting because some of these folks really need some leadership yeah they undersell their work they make work that really needs more um you know quality control and Mm -hmm. or a bit of education and stuff and um so in some ways the craft council goes a long way to keep that standard high and i I, i'm hoping that it you know spreads because um it's hard enough to make a living <laughs> at it. As an artist. Yeah. yeah. And, and then you see other folks kind of making things that aren't really as good and they're selling it for next to nothing and it, it diminishes all of us. Yeah. So it's really kind of the Craft Council really creates a community mm-hmm. out of the artists then. Yeah, it's a, it does create a community of, of craft people and they're all different mediums and... Uh, we all have different approaches. Some of us, not very many people, are full-time making craft and selling it. It's actually fairly rare, you know, of, of all of them. So we're a different kind of breed. And um, But they represent all of us. So you said that, I was reading again online, that you split your time between Belle Island and St. John's. So do you get any sort of, is it different? Like, wor- do you work in both places? or mm-hmm. So do you get a different feel, say, working in St. John's from Belle Island? Not really. Um, I, I just, uh, we have a cabin over there, and we have a kiln and a wheel and, you know, all the stuff. So basically we we can do our work there if we want to. 
and um, it's convenient and, mm-hmm. and nice just to get away sometimes, be mm-hmm. out of the city and be quiet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, is there anything else? <laughs> <laughs> have you ever tried pottery? I have not. Um, I'm not super artistic myself. You don't um, have to be. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> so what would, I guess, maybe some uh, advice from you if I were to try, or anyone um, want to be trying this type of work? I think that it's really worthwhile to get some instruction if you're going to approach clay because it's a... It's a great medium. It's so flexible, but it can be horrible if you don't have a little bit of guidance. You can find yourself really frustrated with yeah. it. And um, the Craft Council Clay Studio um, in the basement of the Craft Council, they have classes all the time. They have open studios, I think, four or five days a week. And they have beginners' classes, intermediate classes, kids' camps, workshops. Oh, wow. Every, there's always something on the go, and you can just go to their website and have a look, and they have stuff. Usually summer, you know, like during the four seasons, each season there'll be a, a different bunch of things going on. Yeah. And um, if, you've, if you take like a six- or eight-week beginner class, it'd be one day a week or one evening a week, mm-hmm. three hours, and you get enough instruction to set yourself loose and make a few <laughs> things and see kind of how it works and, mm-hmm. and also try out the wheel because everybody wants to try that out. Cause the they, classic wheel. The classic, <laughs> right? Like there's just no escaping it. And yeah. um, whenever I've taught the beginner class, I try and leave the wheel till closer to the end because people get caught up in it. And, um, and it's pretty frustrating because it's uh, hand building. You can get really nice work really early on in your you know exploration of clay but with the wheel is basically like taking up golf you just are <laughs> going to be throwing those balls around for a while yeah. before anything hits <laughs> <laughs> before anything happens yeah you're going to make a lot of murder weapons and dog dishes <laughs> and 50 pound coffee mugs and yeah. things that are just you know if you stick at it 10 years down the road you're going to look at those pieces and think oh my god what was i thinking <laughs> <laughs> some struggles before you actually get to like a product that you can yeah, yeah. it's practice uh, master potters will tell you that you must make 10,000 pots before you can consider yourself you know accomplished at oh your craft and, yeah um i tend to agree mm-hmm. i'm don't even know if i'm at 10,000 yet but <laughs> But some days it feels like it, yeah. and, and it really does matter. You really have to practice, and, and no one just sits down and masters it. It's like, no, you're mm-hmm. not going to sit down and play the piano either or the saxophone, yeah. so same deal. I actually used to play the piano and the saxophone, <laughs> so <laughs> that's something that I can <laughs> understand. Can yeah, like you're not just going to yeah. suddenly belt out a big Chopin piece. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess with pottery, like it's something where you're always learning, you're always growing. Like, Yeah, you can do it all your life and you can um, always be learning. There's, uh, you know, there's no end to the possibilities and there's no end to the learning. It's like anything. If you think you've learned it all, then you're probably in big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so you teach classes at the... I have, yeah. as well? Yeah, yeah. I, I have. I don't do that much of it because I find teaching is a completely different skill than making, and it's mm-hmm. not something that I'm really comfortable with. I'd rather just be at the making end of it. Right. 
Yeah, there's other people that are really great at it, so leave it to them. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's really interesting. Anything else that you'd like to add? I can't think of anything. I don't know. Thanks for inviting me in here. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's it's incredibly interesting for me to listen to because I have no background in pottery or I know my my sister does like ceramics, but I'm just she got all the art genes and I <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, you should go down there sometime and yeah. you know, at least check out the website and see if there's some beginner classes cuz really anybody who says that they're not artistic, somebody told them that and it's not really true. Mm. Everyone's artistic. I love that. I feel it's something that we really should teach like kids more and I think that's so great that they have classes for younger people and mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I think everyone can make art and really it doesn't matter whether it's good or not. It's such a subjective thing. I mm-hmm. mean, most things that everyone makes, even professional people, it's never going to hang in the Louvre. Like take the pressure off yourself. Yeah. And enjoy what you're doing and be in the moment and yeah. If you make a big, heavy, lumpy piece of something, <laughs> your mom is going to totally love it. And, yeah, yeah. You know, or whomever. <laughs> so you know, just, like, relax and have fun making art. Yeah, I love that. Well, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Erin, for talking to me today. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm Dale Jarvis. You've been listening to Living Heritage, a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. Find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Our production assistant is Tara Barrett. We would love to know what you think of the show. Leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page or tweet us at HFNLCA. Thanks for listening.